Today, I am excited because we are going to be looking at one of the most well-known, most used verse in all of Scripture, and it is amazing when Jesus delivered these words. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. What we are focusing on this year in 2023 is going through the Bible. And the reason for that is because there is nothing that has more value in our lives than truth. And the ultimate source of truth that we have is Jesus Christ. And that is evidenced in the the scriptures that God has so graciously given to us. And to be able to fully appreciate the significance of this verse, we need to be able to look at it in its context. So go with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament in chapter 3. The setting is that Jesus is having a nightly dialogue with one individual, and that is a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is part of the ruling class of the the Jewish people. These were not just religious leaders. They also had great political clout, and they also decided a lot of judicial matters. So they were the incredibly powerful. It's very hard to, to underestimate how much influence and power that they had in the culture. Now, yes, at this time, Israel and much of the rest of the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. It's important to understand that Rome had only recently become an empire. Prior to this, Rome had been a republic for many years. And sometimes when we think of Rome, we only think of Caesars and all. But that's actually not the whole history of Rome. And so Rome itself has gone through this pretty remarkable transformation from being a republic to an empire. So it's still working out a lot of those issues. Rome liked to have the people that it conquered engage in a lot of self-rule because that way they didn't have to send a lot of soldiers there and government officials. Basically, it was as long as you pay your taxes and you just mind your business, we'll let you have high levels of self-rule. And that's what they had done with the Jewish people, except the Jewish people just kept kind of wanting to say, we don't want to be under Rome's rule and stage a lot of revolts. So Jesus is here at this tumultuous time politically. And even though there's a time of peace, it is a very fragile kind of peace that is in existence between the Jewish people and their Roman conquerors. And a lot of people were looking for the Messiah in the context of where they were. And that's the first important understanding I want us to have as as we look at this uh, passage of scripture today, is that we have to be very careful that we are not arrogant about our own historical time period and that we don't just see everything that goes on in the world and that is going on in God's work in terms of our own individual situations in the here and now. 
People wanted Jesus to come as a Messiah, which meant to them he's going to throw off our Roman rulers, our Roman oppressors. And we need to look and say, what are we looking at for Jesus to come today, not just in terms of the second coming, but what are we looking at for God to show up in our lives and in our world today? Are we looking at this as part of God's grander story, or are we looking at this just for relief from whatever situations and problems that we are dealing with, whether as an individual or as a country or as a world? So Nicodemus is part of this ruling class, and we don't know how long he'd been a Pharisee. We don't really know his age. We don't know anything about his economic standpoint, although it's kind of safe to assume that if you were part of this class, you were probably okay economically, but exactly was he rich and wealthy or not? We don't know, but he probably was not in poverty. So he comes to Jesus at night, and we talked about that in in our last episode, and Jesus meets him where he is. He doesn't say to him, hey, look, Nicodemus, if you really want to talk to me, let's just meet tomorrow, you know, over there in front of the temple. He doesn't say, hey, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. He meets him where he is, and he has already talked to Nicodemus in the preceding verses about the need to be born again. And then he speaks these words, Scripture's most famous passage of all. And it is this. It is found in the third chapter of John, verse 16. Yep, John three sixteen, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the gospel summed up in one verse, in one sentence. Isn't it fascinating? Jesus doesn't proclaim this in the Sermon on the Mound. He doesn't say this as he is distributing the fish and taking the the few fish and loaves of bread, and he's breaking those up, and he's feeding thousands of people. He doesn't wait until they're all fed and they've all participated in this miracle and then says, hey, by the way, just want to say, and then goes on to say, here's the gospel in one sentence. No, no, no. He says this verse to one individual in a private conversation at nighttime. The most powerful words that you might ever speak won't be in front of hundreds or dozens or thousands or tens of thousands. The most powerful words that you may ever speak may be in a one-on-one conversation with one individual at an inopportune time at an undisclosed location. I also think it's significant to us to see that Jesus says these words to one person because the gospel is always about the individual. And when we lose sight of that, which is very easy to do in our modern age with our technology, with all of our social media platforms where we're looking for a huge base of followers and and how many people can you get to be connections on LinkedIn and your followers on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and you name it and all those places. How many people do you have on your email list and all those things? 
And I'm not downplaying those or saying there's anything wrong with that or, or that we don't need to be savvy in terms of how we connect with people. But when we associate our impact with our numbers, we need to go back to John 3, 16, and we need to see it's about the one individual. Jesus doesn't save his best uh, message for the crowds. He meets people where they are and speaks to them for what they need. Now, sometimes we just think that it ends at, at verse 16, and Nicodemus probably went, oh, okay, okay, well, thanks, Jesus, and goes off. But that is not where Jesus um, ends this dialogue and, and what he says to Nicodemus. And it's so important for us to be able to understand and to pay attention to what comes after verse 16. And I'm going to read this here for you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Sometimes we, in in our modern culture, we hear so much about God is love, God is love, Jesus didn't come to judge, he didn't come to condemn, and that's true, but it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't come to condemn, which means therefore we have no condemnation. Jesus didn't need to condemn because by default, we are already living in a, in a state of condemnation. Yep, that's true. By default, we live as enemies of God. We do not align with who God has designed and destined us to be and desires us to be. Instead, we live in a state of condemnation. Now, I understand that it can seem very frustrating and it can actually seem very unfair that why did everybody else, after Adam and Eve made their foolish choice to disobey God, why does everybody else have to pay the price for that in order? I mean, how how does that work? How is that fair? Why does everybody else have to deal with the sinful nature for choices that they didn't have? And of course, most of the world doesn't believe that we're born with a sinful nature anyway. But if you look at the world, it's kind of hard to explain the human nature otherwise. But whatever, that's, that's a whole nother day and topic. And so we can look at that and say, that just seems so unfair. But here's the beauty of that. You see, by allowing Adam and Eve's choice to have the impact that it did and to affect everybody who came after them, that made it just that Jesus' coming and death and resurrection would also count for everyone. You see, if Adam and Eve's choice only applied to them, then how would it have been just for Jesus to come and to have only picked out one or two people to be able to benefit from his obedience to God and his coming as a sacrifice. Adam in Eden began the very process of redemption. And so in the same way that Adam's choice impacted everybody who came after him, Jesus' choice to come and to be obedient even to death, to the death of the cross, and to have resurrection is therefore justly able to be a 
sacrifice for everyone, not just who came after him, but everyone who came before him. Another reason that Jesus focuses here so much on condemnation in these verses and then in some of the verses that followed is because Nicodemus was a part of a a ruling class, again, not only religiously and spiritually, but in other areas as well. And these people as a whole thrived on condemning other people. You see that throughout scripture. Their whole way of engaging with people was through condemnation. It was not just, hey, here's the law of God and we want to help you keep it. No, 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 no. It was condemn, 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 condemn all the time. And this placed such an incredible fear and burden on people that it didn't draw them to God. It drew them away from God. Jesus is modeling for Nicodemus here what leadership and what love and shepherding people looks like. You see, Nicodemus is part of this group, the Pharisees, who were called to be shepherds of people. They weren't called to be judges just meeting out punishment. They were called to be judgments and shepherds, and they were not doing their job as shepherds. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, hey, your your responsibility here is to shepherd people. These people are already condemned. What they need is salvation, not you heaping more condemnation upon them. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about this this truth, and that is that even when people have an opportunity to turn on the light, so many times people would rather live in darkness than they would the light. Now, this can be hard for us to really wrap our minds around when we apply it into our own lives and our own relationships. It's easy sometimes to look at the world at large and to go, oh yeah, that's true. But we need to move beyond just the world at large and we need to see how this applies to us first as individuals. And then how is this applying to the people that we have in our lives? First of all, it is to understand that by default, we will prefer without salvation we will prefer to do what is not good and what is not right. And then what we need to understand is that's human nature. And so we don't throw up our hands and passively go, okay, well, we can't do anything about that because we're called to be changed from that. But at the same time, we need to understand that the other people that we are engaging with, that they will have that nature by default. That doesn't mean everybody is sneaking around in some sort of nefarious way trying to personally attack and undermine you. But we do need to live with an awareness that we cannot expect the best from everyone. And so that is one of the reasons that we have justice, that we have boundaries, that we have wisdom and insight, because we need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is not just about Nicodemus, it's true about humans, and human nature. So what's one of the marks of someone who really is a follower of Christ, not just in name only, because, you know, the the term Christian has become very fluid in our culture and, and in our world right now. And it doesn't mean what it meant, not even 20 years ago. Um, it At that time, it still had a pretty concrete meaning. Now it's kind of whatever you want it to mean. So we have to get beyond the label to say, what's really behind that label? 
And so for people who are true Christians, one of the highlights and one of the, well, not highlights, one of the hallmarks of those people is that they will live transparent lives. Transparency is the mark of true discipleship, and it is a hallmark of integrity. If you are in a relationship, if you're in a church, if you're in a business, if you're in a nonprofit organization, and there is a lack of transparency and there is pushback when you want to say, hey, does this organization have accountability? Are there appropriate levels of transparency at work here in our leaders and, and amongst people? If that's absent, that is a huge red flag right there. And not only should we look for that in our organizations, but it's something we need to be willing to practice in our own lives. One of the statements that I love, uh, being a huge fan of John Maxwell, is that he talks about success is when the people that know you the best respect you the most. That is so worth saying. I'm going to repeat that. Success, true success, is when people who know you the most respect or who know you the best, respect you the most. And that totally aligns with what Jesus has said here about our works and our lives being willing to be shown in the light and to have transparency. So again, Scripture's most famous verse was not proclaimed in front of thousands. It was not even something that Jesus said to his disciples one time when they were gathered for a meal. He speaks these words to a man who is questioning, who is doubting, who is wondering about him and who he really is at night, one-on-one. We never know, again, what impact that our words may have to one individual. And secondly, to make sure that we are not living from a position of condemnation, and that's not just when it comes to sin. But that's just when it comes to um, things that don't even qualify as moral sins, but just things that qualify as styles, because we can get kind of hung up on those as well. And then to be able to understand that we and everyone that we know without salvation, they already live under condemnation. And that as followers of Christ, that our calling is to be the light to say, hey, You don't have to stay living in that situation. All you have to do is to believe in Jesus, not just that he existed, not just that he was God's son, but that he came as a savior because you were in need of a savior, because you were condemned already, and to believe in him and to follow him with your whole heart. And when we do that, we are not going to be concerned about having our, our lives and our words and our actions brought into the light of truth and to live with integrity. Okay, that's going to wrap up this episode. And next time, we're going to dive into a little bit more in the third chapter of the book of John. If you haven't already, hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can check out resources there, including speaking engagements, and sign up for Highlights, a weekly newsletter that is going to bring refreshment and strength to you as an individual. And if you're a parent, there's some things in there to help you on your journey as a parent. All right, my friend, remember this. 
you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.